Welcome to our show. This is going to be terrible. We're three friends hanging out, talking about whatever seems interesting at the time. Don't say we didn't warn you. If we haven't met before, hi, my name is Robert. Hey, Nathan. Yeah. What has four wheels and flies? Uh, four clocks? A garbage truck. Get it? Hi, my name is James. I'm Nathan. Today, we'll be looking at... We are terrible! One, two, three, four... So yeah, today we'll be looking at... You, you guys hear that? Hear, hear what? We are the Terrible Wives and we're here to join the podcast! One, two, three, four! Welcome to the show, ladies. Yes, this is exciting. But we gotta say, you ladies aren't terrible. So since this is our first time on the show, hi, I'm Layla, I'm Robert's wife. I'm Stephanie. I'm James's wife. I am Jessica. I'm Nathan's fiance. Today we'll be looking back at the geek-centric action romantic comedy from 2010, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, being that it is Valentine's Day. The movie was directed by Edgar Wright and is an adaptation of the graphic novel series from Brian Lee O'Malley. While it generated positive buzz from fans online prior to its theatrical release, the movie was a box office bomb not even grossing enough to cover its production budget. It did eventually find a receptive audience on DVD and Blu-ray, and it's attained a cult film status over the years. But let's get on with our review. First up, the story. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is the story of a 22-year-old Canadian named Scott Pilgrim, duh, who, after going through a really bad breakup, is trying to find his way in the world. He eventually starts dating new girl in town, Ramona Flowers, who unfortunately comes with extremely heavy baggage in the form of seven evil exes, all of whom Scott must defeat before he and Ramona can ride off into the sunset. The film is an adaptation of the six-part graphic novel series by Brian Lee O'Malley, and it's pretty much a pitch-perfect adaptation, at least for the first few volumes. The movie devotes its opening half hour to covering the events of the first volume, leaving the remaining 90 minutes to try and fit in the rest. In addition, the movie was filmed in 2009, while the final volume of the graphic new novel was not released until July of 2010, so the filmmakers only had the brief notes from O'Malley to use in order to make their own finale for the film. All things considered, though, the movie stands well enough on its own, and it gives us that laser focus on Scott and Ramona's, Ramona's plight, which I kind of think works to its advantage. I remember seeing trailers for the movie back in uh, 2010 and just looking so forward to being able to watch the movie. It just seems so interesting that you have Michael Sarah playing someone who looks like he's going to be like uh, getting some cojones and standing up for himself finally. And uh, I just, I really was like, looking forward to seeing a story where it wasn't someone who was all powerful already like very charismatic, but kind of coming into himself to get the girl that he wanted. Um, so I remember definitely the first day I saw it in theaters, I, I walked in late, but I just, at the minute I walked in, like the music was blaring in my face and I was like, I am ready for this ride. So like I, I had so much like expectation of the story going into it and it did not let down. I actually read the graphic novel in anticipation of the movie coming out when I saw the trailers. So I was super excited for this movie. I don't 
quite remember how it ended up happening this way, but I ended up seeing it by myself opening night. Um, I didn't want to miss it. I wanted to be there opening night. And I definitely don't regret that. The audience, the, the theater was packed and everybody there, you could tell were super fans of this uh, movie before they even saw it. And everybody was just cheering that 8-bit logo. Universal comes up and it was just, like Nathan said, I am ready for this. Uh, Story-wise, um, I like I said, I read the graphic novel before watching it, uh, at least what was released up until that point. And I think as far as movie adaptations of novels, books, comics go, this is about as good as it gets for matching the source material. I was definitely impressed with uh, the story. I saw for the first time for an early screening for Universal Orlando employees. I don't remember what I would have known about it before I saw it. I never read the books, um, but it was free. And it was a perk of having to work at a theme park. And it was really fun being among like all these theme park employees who went crazy when the 8-bit music started and laughing at different parts and everything. Um, so I left thinking I had a great experience and I was feeling really cool that I saw this movie before everyone else was going to. And then probably no one else saw it after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I was a little young when it came out. I'd say I think I'm the youngest one here. So it wasn't like a big deal for me to see it. I'm pretty sure I saw it when it came out on DVD. So to me, it's not too shocking that it didn't do quite as well in the box office, but I remember watching it for the first time and thinking back fondly of it. Like it had definitely that nostalgia and like I did enjoy the story the first time I watched it. It was very entertaining. The second time I watched it, I think it sort of was more, I was more critical on the story and I was like, uh, maybe it isn't as good as I thought it was, but Overall, it is completely entertaining, and I did enjoy the music and, and everything else that involved, but the story itself was maybe not the most thought uh, thought out. <laughs> so for me, um, the very first time I even heard of this movie was because of my husband, Robert. Um, I had no idea this movie existed. Um, I probably, you know, heard of it back in 2010, uh, but really didn't give it a shot to go to the theater and watch it because I wasn't interested. So for me, this was brand new, um, watching it for the very first time, uh, due to this podcast and, um, you know, overall it's not what, um, I would normally say is like my favorite movie, for example, Um, but I agree with Jessica in that the story overall, um, had, there were some parts there that I could totally relate in terms of when it comes to relationships. Onto the casting characters. This cast is made up of a who's who of actors that would nearly all go on to being much bigger stars one day. Many of them even continuing on to further comic book movies. You've got Chris Evans as Lucas Lee, who goes on to play Captain America. Brie Larson as Envy Adams, who would go on to play Captain Marvel. Brandon Routh as Todd Ingram, who previously played Superman in Superman Returns, and also the Atom on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Anna Kendrick as Stacey Pilgrim, uh, who was to star in the Pitch Perfect series. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers, who played Huntress in the Birds of Prey movie. 
And of course, Michael Sarah of Arrested Development and Super Bad fame as Scott Pilgrim. This movie was made at the perfect time. Given how big these actors blew up, there is no way that this film could have been made today for that same kind of budget. As for the actual characters themselves, just going to get this out of the way, Scott Pilgrim is not very likable. Might even kind of be the point. He's a jerk at the start of the movie by cheating on both Knives and Ramona, and it takes well until the end of the movie before he grows enough and realizes what he's done. While I may not be the biggest fan of Scott himself, I'd say my favorite character was probably Kim Pine, the drummer of the band, Sex Bomb. To most people, she might come off as a bit cynical, maybe even jaded, but I kind of just see her as being one of the few people that can see through Scott's BS and is more than happy to tell him off, yet still sticks by her fellow bandmates through thick and thin. I like how you pointed out how Scott Pilgrim did start off as not likable. And for the most part, I agree. I think while at the very beginning, while I was in the relationship with Knives, I thought that was his most likable until the very end. But then once Ramona came onto the scene, that's when he definitely you know took that downfall. Point being, it presented an opportunity that a lot of people I think are afraid of doing of character development. And we see it in the Clone Wars with Ahsoka Tano that when she's first brought on the scene, a lot of people didn't care for her and they did that on purpose. They wanted her to not be likable. That way she could grow into a likable character. And I remember hearing a discussion on this where there were like four specific episodes where she went through a growth arc to make her a better character overall. Um, I don't remember if they were off the top of my head. I don't remember where I saw it. I apologize. I got to look into that now. It's just hearing James say that made me think of that specific instance. Um, and yeah, so Scott Pilgrim, not likable, absolutely, till the end. Um, I actually, I enjoyed young Neil the most throughout the story, just because he's like, he's in the background almost every shot, but they like try to bring him forward. They keep trying to like bring him into the foreground and be part of everything. And he's just kind of like hanging back, holding his bass guitar and just kind of chilling and, and being himself. And I don't know, I, I can relate to that a lot, I think. But I mean, young Neil does have the dilemma of trying to figure out what is he playing? <laughs> it's a very tough question. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm with you guys here too. I mean, again, I, I think it was, we've all said it. It's kind of on purpose that Scott is not likable. Um, Scott's not my favorite character of the movie either. And not really because of that reason. Um, you know, I just, my favorite character of the movie would probably have to be Gideon just because of how over the top he is. Um, you know, he's the, I'm in control. Everything is beneath my feet and I can do whatever I want get away with whatever I want. And then he kind of gets his comeuppance and just something about that, um, that overacting nature of the character that just stood out that I, I like that, that whole character and the confrontation and everything. And he is also the big bad of the film, if you will, the level seven final X that Scott <laughs> has to face. Um, I, I, but honestly, I really like all the characters in the movie. I think they all have their role to play in Scott's development. I don't, I think that's one of my favorite things about the movies. It doesn't waste a single character um, that has significant on-screen time. You know, it doesn't waste any of them. They all have their purpose to drive Scott's character development. And that's why I think the movie works so well is it doesn't waste any of these people. Um, and I do like that going back and watching this now, knowing that all these people became all these big name actors is seeing them before that happened and just being like, wow, like that guy goes on to be Captain America and oh, that's Captain Marvel and things you never would have expected when you first saw this movie. 
it's like we got into an argument because I didn't realize it was Chris Evans playing uh, Bad Boy number two. And I kept saying, no, no, it's great value, Chris Evans. It's not him. And she pulled up IMD. No, see, it is Chris Evans. I'm like, oh, I'm wrong. Okay. Nathan, do you know what a battle droid is? No. Is it a droid of some sort? It goes some in the battle. Say. Oh. <laughs> I, um, I have to disagree a little bit with Robert. I don't think the characters were very likable. Like, I think only the villains were the likable bunch, really. Like, they had more personality and charm, while Ramona just seemed standoffish and uninterested, which, I mean, goes with her character. You know, she's going through her own things. I think um, my favorite character would have to be Knives, because, I mean, in reality, who, what girl can't relate to being 17 years old with, an you know, a boyfriend who perhaps dumped her didn't know cheated and then just going a bit off the deep end (laughs) um just it shows like the most I think realistic aspects of the teenage girl mind but and the opposite of that I think that Wallace was probably one of my least favorite I think he was too much of a caricature of uh, a certain group of homosexual men and I I just didn't I thought it was too much sometimes I mean a little bit of flavor I get it I I enjoyed him but then it just got a little too much as the movie continued but overall I think that we all agree that Scott was probably the worst character (laughs) 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 and uh, yeah I, I definitely enjoyed the villains a lot more I enjoyed their interactions with Scott and their different you know personalities and how different they are and it was just enjoyable to watch them fight (laughs) I have to agree with you 100% Jess Um, when it comes to my favorite character of the movie it was definitely Knives Um, just seeing her start off in the movie being so innocent and all googly eye if you will um, over Scott like she basically worshipped at his feet and would do whatever he uh, you know, did, she was there. I mean, she, she put on his shirt. Um, she went to all his, his band practices. She went all to, you know, all the, the band, um, what is it? Shows. Um, she was basically, I will do whatever you want. I will follow you because I'm that. And she said it to him. I love you. Um, and then after what he did to her and put her through, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, my favorite words were because he asked her, are you going to be okay? And she was like, you know, I'm, don't quote me. I'm too cool for you you anyway. I mean, that was, that was like it for me. I'm like, Knives, you totally are my favorite character because Mm -hmm. she found herself, her self-worth. And she truly realized that she doesn't need a man um, you know, to, to be happy. Like she, she can be on her own and do whatever she wants without Scott Pilgrim. So that was my favorite character. Um, and then I would say my least favorite character. I don't know if you agree with me. Um, can we talk about Todd here for a second and and how he basically, um, at one point hit a girl, I don't know about you or punch her, whatever you can call it. Um, that to me is a big no, no, I don't, I don't, I did. I just, I, I kind of like stood up and I was like, okay, let's pause this for a second because, 
Um, that, that kind of me was like alarming. And his excuse for hitting her was I'm a rock. I'm a rock, I'm star. A rock star. Yeah. It's that tracks your least favorite character is the one that punched your favorite character in the face. <laughs> I also want to add to that. He didn't just punch uh, a girl. He punched an underage girl. That's, yeah, that's what I was gonna... minor and that minor was also a female so todd is yeah. batting a thousand in the <laughs> evil character in the evil category 100 yeah, not 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 as a defense against mr ingram here but as a result of you know having to cut stuff from the comics if i remember it wasn't him that threw the punch in the comics it was actually the drummer of the band who was part cyborg and yeah was the one that punched him punch the highlights out of the hair. But at the same time, Todd Ingram was also cheating on Envy with said robot drummer girl. So again, not in his defense, but mm. he's still not great. Yeah. Well, I also really liked Knives and just watching it this time, um, I don't remember paying a whole lot of attention to her relationship with Scott the first time I watched it, but this time like I'm in my thirties and like taking very careful note of like just what the age difference is. Um, and I kind of appreciate that they show from the beginning that Scott is such a lousy boyfriend, whatever his, even if he was the right age for her and that it really is like, he's dating her because he doesn't want to grow up. It doesn't have anything to do with her. It doesn't have anything to do with like, she's so mature for her age or anything that teenage girls sometimes get fed from older men. It's very clear cut that this is not a relationship to aspire to on either side. I think overall, we all agree that the movie should actually have been named Knives and not Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Knives Chow versus an absolutely horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> now the tour de force for your ears, the music. So the music in this movie is incredible. We've got a bunch of various alt rock and indie rock bands, a lot of them from Canada, because that's where Brian Lee O'Malley is from. Um, and the film score by uh, Nigel Godrich, it's, um, it just manages to kind of all easily match the frenetic energy of the rest of the movie. Being that one of the main plots of this film is that Scott Pilgrim is in a band, the filmmakers went to great lengths to have these fictional bands presented feel real. The actors were all taught to play their instruments, the main exception being, I believe, Michael's, uh, Michael Sarah already knew how to play bass, so he kind of had to dumb himself down to everybody else to get at their level. And they brought in actual bands and musicians to help develop each of the fake band's individual sounds and they're all distinct and unique. On top of all this, you've got the various video game sound effects kind of sprinkled throughout. It definitely makes it one of my kind of favorite soundtracks to have on in the background while my mind is on autopilot at work. The music is just fantastic in this movie. Um, the band uh, Sex Bomb, their music was composed by uh, the lead singer and guitarist for Beck, I believe. Uh, and Beck doesn't have my, it's not like in the top of my list of favorite artists, but he nailed the sound of this band so well. I, I love the sound of Sex Bob-omb in the movie. Um, and I mean, throughout just, this is right where it's at for me. All, this rock, alt rock is like my jam all day, every day. So the music in this movie just 
was hitting me right and right where I needed it to all the time. And yeah, being a part of video gaming geek culture, hearing all of those little sound effects throughout, especially in the beginning with all the uh, Zelda sound effects um, was just great to hear. Just made me nostalgic for those wanting to play those games all over again. Um, I don't think that there was a single bit of this movie where the music didn't land for me. Like it was perfect from beginning to end. It is one of my favorite soundtracks to listen to. Even I have to say, like, as someone who loves all variety of music, Scott Pilgrim's soundtrack has a special place in my heart. And I think one of my favorite songs is actually the Clash of Demon Heads, you know, debut of the movie. And it's one of my favorite songs. I still listen to it to this day. And it just sucks because I don't like them, those band members. We just talked about Todd. <laughs> don't like them. But they have good music. You know, they have good sound. And it was just something that was so iconic and so good to listen to. It was just like you forget for a second that this is the villains. <laughs> like we shouldn't be rooting for them to win, but we are. And hey, they actually had Brie Larson do her own singing for it as Envy Adams, because I guess she briefly had a, a premiere as like a, a career as a pop star or something. I'm not entirely sure. I think I might actually have a CD of hers from Goodwill that I keep meaning to listen to to check it out sometime. <laughs> Apparently it was a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. Next, the visuals. This movie, beautiful. It's colorful. It's the perfect example of a comic book movie brought to life. Edgar Wright uses a number of different techniques to achieve this, from splitting up the shots into different panels, using a lot of motion lines to kind of highlight the speed of the action scenes, uh, even having onomatopoeia words to spice up the fight scenes. You've got your kapows and KOs and thumps and whatnot. And the movie is, you know, a real feast for the eyes and kind of one of my favorite little Easter eggs that you might not notice until like a second or even third viewing is sprinkled throughout all the evil exes. There will usually be some sort of number designation for them. Uh, Like um, on Lucas Lee, he's the second evil X. So his belt buckle has two X's on it. I want to say Todd Ingram wears a shirt that just has the number three on it. The building that uh, rocks, they go to fight Roxy in has the number four on it, just all throughout it. There's a lot of these like number references or X's all about, and it's kind of cool. I've read that Edgar Wright thought about this movie as a musical with fights instead of songs. Um, and so like a musical, they have all these different like genres of devices in there from the Bollywood musical number to having the Seinfeld music come in. And it works, it's the same as in a musical, you can have a Western style number and then the Elvis and style, style number in the same show. I agree. I, th- I think the visuals were definitely really spot on for the movie, especially it being akin to the, the comic book scene mixed with the video game. It was just with Battle of the Bands, it was like so many different things, but they mesh so well together. And it was always a pleasure visually to watch it. I think. One of my least favorite scenes was probably the the battle of the bands when they're fighting the twin DJs. That wasn't necessarily my favorite visuals. I, I thought that fight was kind of lame compared to the other ones. But overall, it was just spot on every time. You know, the choreography um, of each of the villain fights were very 
awesome. Gideon's fight was very iconic. The the love the life up <laughs> being able to kind of rewind, go back through it, and it's just it was so good to rewatch um, just visually. And harkening back on the whole, um, as Stephanie said, with it being a musical about fight scenes, I really enjoyed the choreography, just the choreography itself, minus the like added in post edited visuals they did to make it feel more like a comic book. Um, I enjoyed watching their motions as they were using all their different weapons or their different fighting styles, uh, especially Gideon. I think his was the funnest to watch because he's using like a curved katana sort of blade and his motions are just fluid. It's like, you know, soft butter on a warm skillet watching him fight Scott and then knives and the both of them together. Um, and the only real fight I had a problem with weapons wise was between um, Roxy and Ramona with the, the hammer and then the whip thing she had. Mm-hmm. I, that hammer looked very heavy and she was moving around like nothing, which I think was supposed to portray her strength. But it just it looked really fake to me. It looked like she just had a very light hammer. Uh, they want to make it look more realistic. She should have had the hammer part grounded as she's using the other lighter end to move around to deflect the faster weapon. But again, that's the only thing I could think of to critique on their choreography through all the fights. So that's pretty impressive to think that there's only one nitpick I have throughout a two-hour movie for that is all about fighting. So I have to step in here for a second and kind of disagree with you, Nathan, just a little bit. Um, and I mentioned it to Robert. I was kind of disappointed with the visuals, um, especially when it came to some of these fight scenes when he was fighting against the castle scene. Yeah, and he's fighting against uh, Chris Evans. He's fighting number two. He's fighting Evil X number two. Um, Literally, Chris Evans swung him around and around until he flew him off into a castle on on the set. (laughs) And he didn't walk... I mean, he got up without a scratch or, you know, kind of limping like you would normally see in another, you know, action um, or type of comic superhero movie. So I was kind of disappointed that he wasn't at least limping for at least a couple seconds, you know, and then just shake it off and then move forward. I can respect that. Uh, the visuals in this movie are just fantastic, in my opinion. I I don't. No, I I agree with Jessica that the fight with the twins is probably the moment where the visuals don't land like they do literally everywhere else in this movie. All kinds of homages to video game and geek culture uh, where Scott's sword is flamed, but it's pixelated. Um, Really neat details like that. Um, The bad guys exploding into coins, Um, you know, and then, but more than just, the visual spectacle of the movie was all of the visual homages it paid to the graphic novel. There are a lot of shots and a lot of scenes that are basically ripped right from the pages. Uh, when they when he's on his first date with Ramona, they're walking on a path that kind of the camera's like up in the air and it has like, it makes like an X on the ground and they're kind of walking down that path that's pulled right from the graphic novel. Um, when, they're on their date and she talks about the door, the door being over there and going through the door together to get to her apartment. And she grabs his hand and they kind of like fly off towards the door. That's from the novel as well. And then um, I, I, one of the things I like the most about this movie is every time I watch it, I find something new that I didn't notice before. Um, when the moon is shown in the movie, there's a hole in the moon. And if you recall in her story about Todd, he punched a hole in the moon for her. 
Yeah. Uh, in the graphic novel, he punch, they punch a second hole in the moon, but I thought that it was neat that they tell this story, it's in the graphic novel, and when they show the moon, you can see a hole in it. Just mm -hmm. that attention to detail just goes to show how amazing um, Edgar Wright is when it comes to visuals. All right, wrapping this all up now, final thoughts. I love this movie. I might be a little biased again, seeing as I'd read the graphic novels before it was released in theaters, but I still really enjoy it. It is for sure one of my comfort food kind of picks. And it's a real shame that more people have not ended up seeing this movie. The one complaint might be that they probably should have gone with their original plan for the ending, which had Scott get back together with Knives instead of Ramona. Because they, in the final fight, they kind of like were hinting towards that when they teamed up against Gideon. It looked like it was going to lean in that direction. But from what I understand, they had test audiences and screenings and they did not like it. So they filmed the new ending right before the movie was coming out a couple months beforehand. So that's how we end up with our current Ramona and Scott getting together, which also lines it up with the graphic novels. That's the ending for that. And yeah, going with knives would have kind of helped uh, have the movie differentiate itself from the graphic novels. But even without that, I, I still highly recommend the movie. So James is wrong. Knives is worse better than Scott. And the point of Scott's character arc is that he's finally ready to live his life for himself and stop being hung up on what went wrong in his past. And also he should not be dating a high schooler at this point in his life. He's moving on from living in a basement apartment across the street from his parents' house to build a life in a new city with an adult woman. Ramona doesn't have everything totally together, but she has a job, her own apartment, and she does not date high schoolers. <laughs> I think it would have been interesting to see Scott's arc end with him choosing to work on himself without being involved in a romantic relationship, but I'm not sure that would have crossed anyone's minds back in 2010. But other than that, still, it's a great movie. I have so much fun watching this whenever I think to put it in. I have to agree with Stephanie because <laughs> Knives does deserve better, 100%. And I honestly agree that the, I think the ending of the movie would have been even a little more elevated if he didn't end up with either of the girls because sort of the end, they hinted with, the, I agree, they hinted with Knives and, and Scott because they do have pretty good chemistry together. However, she is a 17-year-old girl, so no, that should not have happened. But I do think that they were also hinting that with the whole self-respect aspects of the movie that he was gaining this newfound respect in himself and he should take time for himself to work on himself that he clearly needed to, thinking that dating a 17-year-old girl was cool. Um, but they didn't do that and it... it it kind of was like, oh, he found self-respect. Oh, he's he didn't find self-respect. He's still chasing the girl who kind of seems in an uninterested. So, but overall, I think the movie was pretty good. I don't think it held held the same regard that I had for it back when I first watched it. But it's definitely something that, like, in a few years, I'll be like, you know, what? I'm gonna watch this movie again and and relive that nostalgia that I had. I'm going to jump on the disagree with James wholeheartedly bandwagon, <laughs> but then I'm also going to kind of disagree with Jessica uh, here. Um, I get it. Scott needs to work on himself. Uh, I get kind of where James is coming from too. It's kind of like, 
cliche that he ends up with Ramona, right? I think that's kind of maybe maybe where James is coming from. I'm not sure that's where I think maybe that some of that comes from. Um, but you know, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the him staying by himself to uh, work on himself. I totally agree with the direction of knives. She doesn't need Scott. She's 17 years old. She's going to be dating some guy that's, you know, outside of her age range. Um, you know, let's, let's put that aside. She has her development. She finds herself worse. She doesn't need him. I'm too cool for you. Moves on knives wrapped up in a bow. Perfect. Uh, however, um, Scott does spend the entire movie fighting for Ramona. It would feel strange that he would just kind of abandon that effort. But I think part of the story here that they're trying to tell is that in relationships, everybody brings their own baggage, right? We, they even speak to that specifically between Ramona and Scott in one of their scenes and dialogue together. But I think it's important that we are not left alone to have to work through those issues in our life. And I think that's the purpose of putting Scott and Ramona together at the end is that these are two broken people that in the, together can help work through their individual issues that they don't have to be. Remember Scott's whole thing is he does this thing where he goes off. He's like, I'm so alone. I'm so alone. Like he doesn't have to be alone. He can be with Ramona who has her own issues and he can have his own issues and they can work through those things together. I think for me, that is the message at the end of the movie. I have to disagree with you, babe. <laughs> um, you know, and I, and I mentioned this to Robert, if we were to have a sequel to Scott Pilgrim versus the world, I don't think that Scott Pilgr Pilgrim, excuse me, would end up being with Ramona. I honestly feel like they would attempt at their relationship but at the end of the day I think she would end up leaving him because she I don't know I, I I don't think she would stay with him um and that's just my opinion because she just just there's so many issues going on in her mind that she kept on saying it over and over again I don't like basically you're the nicest guy I've ever dated and I think that's embedded in her brain so much that she will never appreciate him for everything, you know, for all that he's done after fighting all her evil exes to be with her. Um, I don't think she would, you know, ever appreciate that. And she would end up leaving him eventually and go with another bad dude, because that's kind of what she, she knows best. I think it comes down to that. This movie is a movie of its time because in 2010, we hadn't really done a bunch of the current race riots going on. Um, you know, we haven't had much discussions with transgendered people. And then I don't even, I didn't even learn what cisgendered meant until just a few years ago myself. So I definitely didn't know about it in 2010. And so I think there were, this movie played at a lot of those kind of stereotypes between different types of people and kind of based itself to try to group everybody in the world into those categories. And that isn't going to be appreciated for too much longer because we as a society as a whole are moving into a new understanding of ourselves. And I think that this final wrap up has shown that that all of us here, the six of us sitting here, we all have different views about what lessons these characters learned, what we think they learned, what we think they should have learned, where we think they're gonna go in the future, if there's a continuation to the story. And it's, I think, like I said, it's a product of its time to show that we're on the cusp of changing as a society and something different, something more, hopefully better. Um, and I just, I wanna encourage you, if you haven't seen it, watch it now, because it's probably not gonna be relevant in another 10 years you know, um, and keep an open mind. It's, it's not a perfect movie. I would argue it's a good movie. 
you should enjoy going into it. If you like music, listen to music. If you like fight scenes, watch the fight scenes. If you like kissy kissy romance, this may not be the movie for you, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this was a good movie. It's just, it's not a great movie. It's not a movie of the times. It's a movie of its time. Hmm. That you that was some stuff that you you brought up when we were talking about it, how the movie does date itself quite frequently. Um, you got am- mail. You got mail. Amazon, Amazon doesn't got- deliver on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> we would all die if Amazon didn't deliver on weekends, I think. Um, <laughs> little things like that where the movie kind of dates itself. I'm with Nathan. Uh, the movie is good. Uh, and it was perfect for when it came out. I do feel the more that I watch it, the less and less relevant it becomes and the more and more dated it becomes and the more and more unacceptable as a society it will become uh, the longer and longer we get away from it when it came out. So watch it now before it's too late. Yeah, much like many movies we watch now. It's like you look at any movie in the past, you're like, oh, wow, they let that on TV. That's shocking. Except for Howard the Duck. That is a timeless classic that will forever live in the hearts and minds of everyone. We have to disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about the scene where Scott Pilgrim, um, when Knives came to visit him and he just was uh, avoiding her at all costs and he just jumps out the window? Can we just talk about that for a second? (laughs) It was pretty funny how, how how, how much he's, tries to avoid her and just not break up with your fake high school girlfriend as well as tells him yeah Um, just kind of uh no i'm not dealing with this it was humorous but also sad given given uh edgar wright's strict adherence to wanting as much as it to be as uh practical and physical effects as possible a guy did jump through that window (laughs) not michael (laughs) well he said a guy so yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) Terrible time. All right. Well, now we're going to move on to our terrible time segment where we share something we've either been watching recently or maybe just something interesting we found. Just kind of whatever. So in Stephanie and I's case, we're going to talk briefly about uh, the Goes Wrong show. We watched it on Amazon Prime, but I believe it's also a BBC production. So you'll probably be able to find it elsewhere if need be. Um, it's a really funny show. I want to say the episodes were like half an hour ish. Yeah, around that. Um, they basically are performing this play in front of a live studio audience, so they still do some camera tricks and stuff, and things go wrong. So there's a lot of slapstick. There's a lot of just, um, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. Physical comedy. Less slapstick. True. That's true. I already said that. Um, just a lot. um, things with the actors messing up and it's all scripted on wrong but it it's really funny I, we both really really enjoyed it and we went through all six episodes really quickly yeah it, it's a it's a real quick watch so if you have access to it we, we'd say go ahead and give it a go uh i still got to push wandavision uh it is just absolutely fantastic uh these last two episodes are just opening up the mcu in ways that we could not have imagined and it's still extremely mysterious uh the show has kind of turned from its 
charming sitcom um, motif into now becoming darker and more mysterious. And uh, it's just, it's, it's great. It is awesome, awesome TV. You need to check out WandaVision. We, uh, we've been watching a lot of uh, cooking stuff on YouTube the past month or so. Uh, and uh, just this morning, actually, I came across a YouTube channel called Aaron and Claire. And it's a Korean couple. The, their accents are heavy, but they include subtitles where necessary. So I appreciate that. And it's just the, the husband going through cooking all these dishes. And he does like five dishes per episode showing like easy and then more advanced. And then like this is restaurant, restaurant quality that he used to make at the restaurant he used to work at. Um, and the, the fun thing about it is just the dynamic between the husband and the wife because the wife is trying all the dishes that he prepares and she is just the cutest thing talking about how delicious it is or, oh, this is good. But this, this one you made the other day was actually better. And, and why would you even give me this without green onions? Where's the green onions? You know, it just, it's so entertaining to watch them again, Aaron and Claire on YouTube. They just, it, their dynamic is great. And the dishes they prepare look fantastic. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I have a love of east asian culture and let me just say i love food as well if you couldn't tell that i love food but um so learning how to cook in a style that's different from my own which is not very advanced but i it's always such a pleasure but just the dynamic of the husband working really hard to please YouTube and his wife. And it's just, it's such a nice thing. And at the end, there's always a scene where she's washing the dishes after. So it's like, yeah, he's he's cooking for her, but also she she comes in and helps clean up after. Aaron and Claire, coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on our review of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. We'd like to know what you thought. Be sure to share that in the comments. You can also share your thoughts on our thoughts on our Facebook page. Just search for This Is Going To Be A Terrible Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Later. Be good to each other out there. Bye-bye. You all can stop. <laughs> this is the longest 10 seconds of my life. I was shaking a freaking jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> I, and we're not even referencing in the episode, are we? Probably not, but that's okay. We don't have to. I just like the fact that I'm doing mayonnaise as an instrument. I did, I missed the button. <laughs> the time wasn't cut off, so I'm just like, I'm going to go until I think we hit 15 seconds. And I'm like, this feels like it's gone on long enough. <laughs>